Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll check out the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. And as usual, we'll be talking about current world events. Buzz Victor will be joining us. You may have seen signs for Save Vanderbilt Beach around, especially North Naples. Well, Buzz is behind a lot of this activity, and uh, we're going to find out why this is a concern. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg. He's a former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author of a couple of several books, actually. His latest is Shake the Money Tree. It is August the 10th, and on this day in 1776, now get this, 1776, news reached London that the American Americans had drafted the Declaration of Independence. Until the Declaration of Independence formally transformed the 13 British colonies into states, both Americans and British saw, the conflict centered in Massachusetts as a local uprising within the British Empire. To King George III, it was a colonial rebellion, and to the Americans, it was a struggle for their rights as British citizens. However, when Parliament continued to oppose any reform and remained unwilling to negotiate with the Americans and instead hired Hessians... Uh, to German mercenaries to help the British army crush the rebellion, the Continental Congress began to pass measures abolishing British authority in the colonies. In 1776, in January, Thomas Paine published Common Sense, the influential political pamphlet that convincingly argued for American independence from the British monarchy. It sold more than 500,000 copies in just a few months, and by the spring of 1776, support for independence had swept through the colonies. The Continental Congress called for the states to form their own governments, and a five-man committee was assigned to draft a document declaring independence from the British king. It was largely the work of Thomas Jefferson in justifying American independence. Jefferson drew generously from the political philosophy of John Locke, an advocate for natural rights and from the work of other British theorists, and Scottish, I would say. The Declaration features the immortal lines, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain and unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It goes on to present a long list of grievances that provided the American rationale for rebellion. And I get this, it took 37 days, 244 years ago, for our Declaration of Independence to reach London. Think of the innovations and communications that have occurred since, and the possibility of misunderstanding the enormity of the problem by King George III and those in Parliament. Unbelievable. A little update on COVID-19. 69 new cases. You notice that the number of cases is going down. Three additional deaths in Collier County are attributed or associated with COVID-19, but we know that in many cases these are deaths that are caused for other, other purposes under the causes. The rolling seven-day average has dropped from 220 on July the 13th, and now I'm talking about cases, to 89 on August the 6th, and it's certainly lower than that by, by now because the uh, totals in the last few days have been way lower than 89. Collier cumulative uh, cases is 10,334 out of 62,681 tests. And the total related deaths, COVID-related deaths, is 136. Now, the report in the Naples Daily News that 722 people have been hospitalized but the last report I saw was about 136, 140 people are currently hospitalized. That number must have gone down because there's no current report. Uh, the curves are heading in the right direction. Um, and, of course, the public health officials are saying, well, it's because we're requiring masks. Well, what about masks? Dentists are saying coverings could be causing gum disease and tooth decay with the number of patients presenting with oral health problems exploding since mask-wearing mandates began. The owners of One Manhattan Dental in New York City say they've even created the nickname Mask Mouth 
to deal with a burgeoning number of cases. We're seeing inflammation in people's gums that have been healthy forever and cavities in people who have been never had them before. That, according to Dr. Rob Raimondi, about 50% of our patients are being impacted by this, so we decided to name it Mask Mouth. Uh, Sclafani said that most people breathe heavily through their mouths when wearing a mask, which is inadvertently causing dry mouth. The mouth breathing is causing the dry mouth, which leads to the decrease in saliva, and saliva is what fights the bacteria and cleanses your teeth. Saliva also is what neutralizes acid in the mouth and helps prevent tooth decay and gum disease, he said. The dentist told the publication that there's one positive outcome. Mask wearing has made people more attentive to their oral health. He urges people to drink lots of liquids, brush and floss regularly, and try breathing through their nose if they're wearing a mask. I think just, uh, and I'm, I'm mentioning this only because there's two sides to this mask issue. The unintended consequences of wearing masks can be damaging to your own personal health. And there's also studies that indicate that it's really, for example, from Holland, that there's no uh, actual benefit in terms of avoiding coronavirus or avoiding the spread from wearing a mask. Well, President Trump issued four executive orders extending relief during the coronavirus pandemic after Democrats in Congress refused to compromise with the White House to pass a relief bill. He uh, said almost certainly exceeded his authority with these orders and the Democrats' plans to challenge him in court. (laughs) They've got their hair on fire. They're so upset about this. Yet by signing these orders, the president called their bluff. Democrats refused to work with him to secure coronavirus relief, planning to make Trump look heartless. In response, the president called their bluff, and now uh, Democrats have to fight against the relief Americans need. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in just a little while here on the show. Uh, I want to come back to this and and itemize the things that we're talking about. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. He's an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, historycentral.com. We're going to be talking about current global events. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. 
Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and also a great summer program for kids. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Mark Schulman, founder of a multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. He's also the author of several books as well. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. Well, right now you're in Tel Aviv, and I'd like to just start off by how things are going in Israel right now. Okay, so we've got three parts to how things are going in Israel right now. One is, of course, Corona, which is not going well. The numbers remain fairly high, 1,500 a day which is higher than the U.S. rate per million. Um, Israel sort of let it go by bringing back its school at the end of June or middle of June and then has not managed to gain back control because the government is afraid to put strong measures in place. People are wearing, uh, are wearing masks in most cases, but not in all cases, and so it's not really clear um, where it's going to go at this point. So that's one level. Economically, of course, well, could Mark, like just, to, just to stay with that, with that point for a moment, uh, how are you doing with uh, the health care? Is the health care system being overwhelmed, and how about deaths? The health care system is getting near the point of overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. The number of cases now, serious cases, today reached 400, which was the number that they said would be the, the point where the health care system would begin to become over, overwhelmed. It's been a steady rise day by day, mm-hmm. and of course the death rates have, have gone up as well. Israel has a re- remarkably low overall death rate number, um, 600 deaths so far out of, I think it is 70,000 cases. So its death rate is um, about a quarter of the U.S.'s death rate per, per case. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's partially a result of uh, a younger population, partially a result of a much healthier population, because one thing Israel does well is it has a very good um, community-based health care system. There are three major insurance companies. They compete, but there's universal health care. So there are no untreated cases of diabetes or hypertension or any of the uh, basic diseases that so many Americans have. And, of course, the obesity rate is much lower than it is in the United States. So yeah. the result is a much lower mortality rate. Uh, than we've seen in the United States and in some other places in the world. Right, right. Okay, thank you for that, Mark. Now, you're moving on to your second point. The second point is economically, Israel has the same problem that everybody does, that the economy is is in trouble, the unemployment rate is, is high. Um, you know, they have various incentives, but the bottom line is demand is low. And it doesn't make it in so many cement, you know, there's no tourism, there's no outgoing, no incoming tourism or anything like that. Those industries are you know, there's nothing you can do about that. The restaurants are theoretically open up to a certain size, uh, but people aren't going for, for obvious reasons. So all those things make it very difficult. And then, of course, in Israel, you got the security problems. And security problems right now have gotten a little bit tense on um, on the border with Hamas and the Gaza Strip. They fired, uh, they fired on Israeli workers yesterday and are threatening to uh, warm up that border, so to speak. Um, the north there was uh, some problems with the Syrians in the last couple of days, and with the Lebanese, they're expecting something, but after what happened in Beirut, the likelihood is, is much lower. So it's one of these combined situations that you know, combine all the three. And, um, and then, I'm sorry, and the fourth thing is the political situation. Believe it or not, there is serious thought, and there's, a, I would say, at least a 50-50 chance we're going to go to fourth elections. 
No. <laughs> so that's just hard to, hard to believe. Uh, no political reporter in this country wants to hear those words, but it seems Prime Minister Netanyahu is intent on trying one more time to get a supermajority that allow him to escape it from his trial that begins in January. So he escapes so, the, the, the judicial system during the period that he's serving. No, he doesn't do that. No, he's hoping... He is hoping to get a supermajority in Parliament that will pass a law that will give him immunity, ah. uh, which he has. In the, last, he, he, in the last three elections, he did not reach the majority. He, he didn't reach that, and his, he was forced to go into a coalition government this time. And, of course, his coalition partners won't, won't agree to such a, such a plan. And so he's, his trial begins in January, and his fear is that once his trial actually begins, then it's going to be three days a week. The attorney general is going to say, I'm sorry, you need to step aside. You can't be the prime minister and go to be on trial three days a week. You so, know, the, the, the Israel is right on the edge of a constitutional crisis continuously now for the last couple of years. Just, just well, amazing. Absolutely. But it's been, listen, it's been that way since, listen, in almost any other country, and certainly in a parliamentary system, a prime minister that was under serious uh, investigation, and then the police recommended indictment, and then when he was indicted, would either resign or would not run again. Right. I mean, I can't think of anywhere in the world where, where that would take place. And in this system, A, it allows it, and B, he has a base of support that, you know, refuses to believe anything negative about him. Wow. Sounds a little familiar, I would think. It reminds me of some politician. I, I can, I, I know you'll remember, but that's actually served uh, while he was in jail. <laughs> I've forgotten who that was. Right, there's a mayor or something of that. Yeah, exactly. Mayor of, of uh, Boston, if I'm not mistaken, maybe Chicago. I'm not sure. But in any event, uh, you know, people and their judgments so interesting. So, so in the same part of the world, uh, any update on Beirut and Lebanon and what's going on there? The situation is quite terrible. The government, as far as actually a few minutes ago, I just heard that uh, three additional ministers have resigned and they're expecting the prime minister to resign at any moment. Um, total chaos. Uh, listen, the country has been in chaos for a generation at this point. Yeah. And you have competing, for people who don't understand, Lebanon is part um, part Christian, part Muslim, and part uh, Druze. And until 20 years ago, there was a pretty even balance. Over the years, the Christian numbers have gone down, and so the power of the Muslims has gone up, but then it gets more complicated because you have Sunni and Shiite Muslims. You have the Shiites who are... Uh, controlled to a large extent by Nasrallah, who gets support from Iran. And so you've had a non-functional government now for many, many years. And you've taken what used to be called the Riviera of the Mediterranean and turned it into a, a real problematic place. And the people are, are tired, are fed up. Yep. And of course, the, the, it's quite clear that the explosion was a result of total negligence by the government to leave these kind of explosives right in the middle of the city. How about the so, uh, how about a, uh, a bomb or some other uh, outside influence that that uh, yeah certainly the material should have been there and should have been removed but uh, there has been some speculation. It does not seem like it. No one no a, a no one seems to have a theory of why that would make sense. Let me put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, it's there was a slight chance that someone was trying to attack something else and didn't realize there was all those chemicals and as a result the chemicals blew up. But there've been no serious thoughts. Uh, in, in that direction. As a matter of fact, I saw some photos of workers with acetylene torches working very close to the nitrate, um, nitrates. So, you know, you really could believe there was just a total, complete... Um, complete accident. Negligence. It's very hard to believe. Yeah, so the, and the other speculation that was going on is that uh, the materials are going to be used for an attack on Israel sometime this week or next. Okay. The material, you know, there is clearly a a, uh, a theory, and there's probably some truth to it, that, that the Hezbollah wanted to keep some of those materials because they could use it as for making bombs. Materials as a group were not going to be used for an attack. It's way too too much and too big, and they're not really that efficient. They can be parts of a bomb. Yeah. But I don't really think that's that's really the case. There, there will be no, there's no efficient way of delivering it. The, the one case that we know of, of course, in the United States where this was used was Timothy McVeigh. So and the other, yeah, the, the, the other piece, uh, Mark, is that there's some speculation as well that there were actually uh, Iranian missiles being stored there. Okay, there is speculation about that. It, it is possible. Uh, but again, it's unlikely. Let me put it this way. 
it's very unlikely the people who would want to get rid of the Iranian missiles would be the Israelis. It's very unlikely that Israel would attack a place like that in the middle of the day. Yeah. Yes. Put it that way. It goes against all operating principles that they would have. If they did something like that, they would do it in the middle of the night um, when as few people would be around as possible. I also think they would have had the intelligence information to know about the highly explosive uh, chemicals sitting there. So, um, no, it could have been a work accident in there. In, in the missile um, in the missile workshops that may have been underground there, they may have had a work accident. Yeah. That's definitely a possibility, obviously. So interesting. But I don't think there was a attack, but the, there was no... And from what was reported here, the Israeli intelligence were going crazy trying to figure out how it happened. Um, and if, if Israel had a part of it, they wouldn't have gone crazy trying to figure out how it happened. Mark, I want to talk to other parts of the world, going to Hong Kong uh, and uh, North Korea and so forth. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And uh, you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Buzz Victor, He's seen signs for Save Vanderbilt Beach. Well, he's kind of behind this, and we'll find out what that's all about. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, uh, let's move now to uh, Belarus and what's happened right now. It's uh, apparently a pretty big story. Yes, Absolutely. So the current ruler of Belarus, who's ruled since it became independent, Alexander Lukashenko, uh, had elections, and exit polls showed him losing by 80%, but magically the, uh, the official results showed him winning by 80%. <laughs> so th- that obviously leaves a little bit to be questioned over the honesty of the elections. He's very unpopular, uh, very much a dictator. And uh, the people took to the streets last night, and the armies tried to put it down, and the people turned to the army and say, you know, don't support him, support us. And it's not exactly clear. He's, he's closely connected to Putin. 
Um, and Putin, of course, congratulated him, and he's hoping that Putin will make sure that he stays in power. Uh, very similar to, the, to what happened in Ukraine, if you remember, uh, 10 years ago with the Velvet Revolution, yeah. where the pro, pro-Russian was, uh, was thrown out by, by popular vote and he was forced to leave. Um, so unclear what's going to happen in the next two or three days, but clearly the people want him out um, and the dictator wants to stay. So, if, if, geographically, I think Belarus just butts up against Ukraine and Russia, does it not? Correct, and uh, Poland, I believe. And Poland as well. So, well, we'll watch that story. It's uh, Again, uh, it, to me, it's always inspiring to see that uh, finally people, some at some point, people will say, we've had enough. <laughs> we, right. we, we want freedom, and uh, sometimes at great expense, but uh, it's great to see. Well, now let's move to what's happening in Hong Kong, because it's... it's so it's, in Hong Kong, we've had a very concerning matter, although we, we should be used to it. Jimmy Lay who was a prominent uh, pro-democracy activist and also a, a, a owner of the Next Digital, which is one of the biggest uh, publishing houses in, um, in Hong Kong, pro-democracy was arrested. And clearly he was arrested in, in charge under the security law of colluding with foreigners. So any, any make-believe that there's any sort of press freedom or freedom to dissent now is pretty much gone in Hong Kong. We can say that Hong Kong as some sort of a semi-independent uh, entity is pretty much over, and um, it's just another part of China at this point, I'm afraid. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, uh, it, it uh, happened. It's, it's, are there still protests the there? Question, of course. What? Are the protests still going on in Hong Kong? Uh, very little, because they're afraid at this point. Yeah. Basically, the new laws are basically they can be hauled away to China. And um, so they're, they're leaving, basically, you know. So it's, sad. Uh, a friend had a close friend in Hong Kong who had always said it'll be okay, and my friend called him and said, how are things? How are things? And he said, I'll tell you when I get to Europe next week. Wow. So interesting. People are fleeing there like crazy. So uh, yeah, let's move to Taiwan now, because I think uh, one of our uh, s- secretaries uh, in the in the cabinet, Estes, I believe, is, is visiting Taiwan. Come to visit us, right? So the big, the big, that's the big question now: is will the Chinese, you know, now that they've consumed Hong Kong, are they going to try to do something with Taiwan or not? Um, that's going to be the American challenge over the next um, next. Five years. I mean, it's been a challenge, obviously, all the way since the 1950s, obviously. Right. But here you have a, you know, a clear a democracy, a successful country, and, um, you know, who wants to be free. So... And elected um, government, and uh, they, you know, uh, it's, it is a hot spot for sure. The world is becoming a troubled place right now. What's going on in... Uh, no, clearly, it's spinning out of control. You know, we, we, you know, we can go very close to the next place over, North Korea. North Korea, according to all estimates, now has missiles that can carry nuclear weapons. Hmm. So we've had a very successful couple of years in containing our enemies, let's put it that way. Um, We're really, it's going to be a difficult uh, time going forward, I'm afraid. Um, And then, of course, we can jump to to Afghanistan, where we've forced the government there to to release 5,000 terrorists. And we're going to pull out 5,000 troops, and we're not waiting to see whether the Taliban are going to keep to their agreements at all. So I'm not optimistic, let's put it that way. So uh, help me understand why we would want to stay in Afghanistan. Okay, so here's the question. Uh, Do we want to stay in Afghanistan? We probably don't want to stay in Afghanistan. Maybe we shouldn't have been there in the beginning. However, let's remember why we went there to begin with. We went there again with because um, they came. We discovered it was a small world, and you could come from Afghanistan and attack the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to make sure that there is nothing like that happens again. Uh, so you don't want a country that's ruled by terrorists, wherever it may be. And this is probably the only. You know, the Taliban has still have that connection to Al Qaeda, and they still the Taliban are terrorists. Yeah. So that's the question. Do we allow, and I don't have an answer, by the way, don't get me wrong, I'm not, uh, but, but they are clearly terrorists, and they clearly are the enemy in Afghanistan, and are we, are we willing to allow terrorists to have a physical place? I mean, we, 
we fought against the caliphate supposedly in in Syria, but they have Taliban are no better. Yeah. Well, how about the the, so, the Iranian situation then? Because that's where most of the uh, terrorism is financed is out of Iran. And uh, how are the struggles going there financially and otherwise? Look, they're having a very hard time, particularly because of Corona. I mean, they're being very well, very heavily hit by Corona. We don't even know how how hard they've been hit by Corona. But they're committed, you know, they're religious fanatics who are committed to their cause. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, we, we keep on hoping for regime change, uh, but it's not likely to get regime change. I mean, we're hoping for regime change in China, which is even less likely. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we made the mistake over the years of assuming, this is close to China so more than anything else, that with economic progress would come uh, political change. Right. And, of course, it didn't happen. It went backwards, obviously, in, in Russia, which had some version of democracy, and today there's barely a symptom of democracy left in Russia. Um, and in Iran, too, we, we were expecting uh, changes to take place. And not so simple. It hasn't been happening. No. And the problem is, again, we're all alone right now in terms of Iran. We are, we are in the Gulf states, and Israel are alone trying to... Uh, extend the arms embargo against them, and the rest of the world basically says, well, you walked away from the agreement. You don't have a place at the table anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a problem. Well, the, uh, sanctions, the sanctions seem to be crippling uh, the economy. Yeah, but crippling, crippling, it's not stopping them. So That's mo- the problem. You know? Look, listen, let, 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 let's, let's go very close to home, right? So how long do we have sanctions on Cuba? <laughs> a long time. How long? Right. Did, did it bring about regime change in Cuba? No. So that's that's the problem. Yeah, indeed. You know, it's, sanctions almost never work. So, Mark, be, before, never work. before I let you go, you you'd mentioned off air that you wanted to uh, mention make some comments about Bill Gates. Right. The, the, the things really, you know, I, I've heard this so many different times. Now people ask me questions: Is it really true that he wants to lower the population of the world? Is he behind some sort of conspiracy? Look. I was never a great fan of Bill Gates when he was the president and CEO of Microsoft. I thought he was almost evil as president and CEO of Microsoft. However, since the time he left Microsoft, created his foundation, and has been giving away almost all of his money, saving millions of lives all over the world, mm-hmm. um, he, is, he is this generation's greatest philanthropist, giving away his money in a thoughtful way that is making a difference. And yes, he's supporting, I think, I think he's supporting six different vaccine efforts. And without knowing which one's going to succeed, he's put, he's put money towards all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only because he thinks it's important. And I think that um, he's one of the brightest people in, our gen- in this generation. And he's doing the most good in the world of almost anybody. And I say this to someone who used to hate the man. So let me um, ask you a point of question, Mark. Then how does a tiger change its stripes? I mean, how did how did he become go from being an evil person to a good person? Because the business as a businessman, he wasn't really evil. Obviously, he's just he he was a ruthless businessman. Mm-hmm. But once he decided, I had enough. He had enough money. He stepped back and he married a very nice woman. And they decided that they want to find the ways of of giving back because they had so much. Yeah, which we've seen that many times over the years. We've seen many. We've seen many ruthless businessmen become tremendous philanthropists. Yeah, um, I, I still think know, going the, back to the Carnegies and everything, going to the Rockefellers and all those things, going back uh, uh, two or three generations. So you're suggesting um, there's not a Malthusian influence there? No, I don't believe there's any Malthusian influence. I think that's that's one of those absurd rumors that are that are going around. He listen, he has saved millions, literally millions of lives in Africa by fighting. Uh, mosquitoes and other childhood diseases. That's the opposite to Malthusian. He's literally saved millions and millions of lives there. Yeah. So the idea that, I mean, I, I don't understand how in America, in the world, frankly, I understand how there's Facebook and there's YouTube and there's all this nonsense, some ridiculous conspiracy theories managed to gain hold. And then what happens is I hear people say, well, look at the proof. And the proof is some YouTube video that someone put together. Yeah. That's not proof. Well, okay. And then a story and proof is a. Is you know original source documents. When you want to show me proof, show me an original source document. You know that that we know is original, or show me an original recording that hasn't been altered, and I'll talk to you about proof. Right? Uh, Everything else is nonsense. All right, Mark. Well, you know, I, I frankly don't care, but I just wanted to to uh, create a platform for the discussion. So, <laughs> I, okay. I, gen- <laughs> I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. So, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. 
All right, coming up, <clears throat> we're going to visit with um, uh, Buzz Victor. He's uh, the head of Save Vanderbilt Beach. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by, well, I'd like to do a little shout out to Lulu Bee's Diner located in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Do a great job of supporting St. Matthew's House. Hope you'll stop by and have a great breakfast or lunch. Big throwback to the 50s at the Green Tree Shopping Center uh, right there in uh, Immokalee and Airport Pulling. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is the author of Shake the Money Tree. Right now we have with us Buzz Victor. As I mentioned before the break, he's a community leader. Uh, You've probably seen the signs all around North Naples. Save Vanderbilt Beach. Buzz, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure indeed. So tell us about Save Vanderbilt Beach. What's it all about? Well, as you probably remember, we're uh, working hard to get uh, stock development to kind of skinny down a little bit the project that they've got planned for the corner of Vanderbilt Beach Road and Gulf Shore Drive. Uh, Called Naples One, as it's currently envisioned, the property, the project has two 16-story towers and three uh, six-story, one five-story and two six-story buildings. Uh, all squeezed into a 5.42-acre uh, site. Uh, it's just a matter of developer overreach, something that we've seen in, in Collier County a lot. It's mm-hmm. not that we don't want development, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we respect stock. We respect stock development. think they've been good for Collier County. Uh, but this project is just oversized uh, for the Vanderbilt Beach neighborhood. So we, we have a zoning requirements, and of course, uh, I, what I'm, I think I'm hearing you saying is that they stayed within the zoning requirements that are, that are currently in place. You'd have no problem with the project. You know, not simply that. We've been working closely with the Collier County planning staff over the last few months. Uh, they tell us that they'll have their report out sometime in the next couple of weeks, and that will go to the Collier County Planning Commission. Uh, we think that the commission will be meeting... Uh, right around the first of October, mm-hmm. uh, but that date isn't uh, isn't absolutely firm. One of the things that we've done, uh, kind of at the request, certainly at the encouragement of the planners, is to uh, provide the planning staff with what we think would be a project that would be compatible with the neighborhood. And to your point, 
the current property zoning is C3, which is a modest neighborhood-scaled uh, commercial zoning. Um, the ability to go to residential from C3 allows 16 units per acre in the uh, uh, in the in the county's uh, development code. Uh, Stock is asking for double that. He's asking for 32 units per acre. We've come up with a plan, or at least a scale, uh, and have provided it to the planning staff. It will be posted on our website sometime this week. The website is www.savevanderbiltbeach.com. And what we've decided is that what we're looking for is reasonable development. Uh, C3 is somewhat restrictive. Uh, the site is a very difficult site to development to develop. It's a very odd shape. Uh, the setback requirements in C3 are extensive. I and mean, as an example, they're half the height of the building. Uh, Stock's current buildings are 208 feet tall. Uh, C3 zoning calls for buildings no more than 100 feet tall with 50-foot setbacks. And if, 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 if he tried to do that, there really would there'd hardly be room to build anything mm-hmm. uh, on that site. But so we've come up with a plan, or at least a, a schedule that says, look, his his current towers are sixteen stories tall. We'd like to see one of them drop to twelve stories. That would be compatible with the neighborhood because the Beachwork condominium complex or condominium building right across the street on Gulf Shore is twelve stories, and just east of him. Uh, is another development, the uh, regatta, that's also 12 stories. The second tower, we'd like to see drop to nine stories. The average height of buildings in along Vanderbilt, uh, uh, sorry, along Gulf Shore Drive is eight stories tall. Mm-hmm. So by bringing him down to 12 and eight, we'd be bringing that much more into scale with the neighborhood. Yeah. And we understand that the setbacks would be extensive, so We'd like him to you to go to maybe sixty percent or seventy percent of the required setbacks, as opposed to the design that he has now, which is a thirty-five foot high wall that is set back only fifteen feet from the sidewalk. Hmm. Uh, he's going to, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright had a wonderful comment where he said that a physician can bury his mistakes, but an architect can only tell his client to plant vines. <laughs> and that's what that's exactly what Stock is planning. Yeah. Uh, he's planting a lot of trees and a lot of vines on a 35-foot wall that's, that's just overpowering in terms of its scale. So we, we think that we're being, we're, we're being realistic uh, and would like to see him uh, maybe use 60% or 70% of the required setbacks. I, I think it's a good plan. And people should check the website to see what we're, we're talking about. Absolutely. I certainly haven't uh, reviewed it. And I encourage your listeners, again, SaveVanderbiltBeach.com is the website. Now, the inference I'm drawing is that uh, the, the commissioners might go along with the whole idea of changing the zoning of the property so that he could do these things. Well, that's what he's asking for. He's asking for a change to the land development code and then the creation of what is called a planned unit development. The change to the land development code allows him to do the things that the code does not currently allow him to do, and the plan unit development that he designs uh, implements all of those changes. Um, it, it really is. A, it's, not a good, it's not a good system historically uh, in the county. That's not something, obviously, we're going to be able to change right now. But getting the planning commission uh, to, to recommend to the county commissioners that the project be denied in its current form uh, is one step. And then the commissioners really have to search their souls. Yeah. Uh, and historically, the commissioners have been very, very uh, developer-friendly. Uh, the article in the paper, I think, on Sunday yesterday uh, talked about Commissioner Mc, uh, McDaniel, who was asked in a, in a forum uh, whether he had ever turned down a, a developer's plan over the course of the time he's been on the on the on the county commissioners, uh, and he said, uh, uh, "Yeah, once he turned down a church at one time, huh. uh, but any other developer's plans he's approved." So they've historically been very developer friendly, and they really do need to dig deep on this one and 
do what's good for the county and what's good for the neighborhood. Yeah, and you know, Buzz, I have a concern, too, that if, in fact, uh, this were allowed and the, the uh, commissioners were to make an exception to allow this to happen, then all of a sudden you have the entire beach area there saying, well, you did it for them, and why not do it for us? They could be teardowns, and all of a sudden you see, you know, 16-story uh, buildings starting to spring up there right on the beach. You know, that's a really good point. Um, there, If you go up and down uh, Gulf Shore and look at those buildings, you'll see that a lot of them uh, were built in the even the late mid to late 80s into the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that they've they've outlived their service life for certain, uh, but they are uh, they are potential teardowns and and reconstructions. And you're absolutely right. Although uh, the the code itself probably doesn't stipulate that. Uh, you can do, if one person has done it, you can do it. It still certainly opens the floodgates and Pandora's box for people looking at, at that opportunity. All right. Well, this is, should be a concern not just for the people in North Naples and on Vanderbilt Beach Road, but for others that want to go to the beach, to enjoy the beach, and to enjoy the community. I mean, certainly, what's public sentiment around this? Well, I think that it's it's growing. Well, we've got, uh, we've got more than 1,000 people, all 1,100 or so, who have signed on to our website? Um, we've got a petition that has six or seven hundred signatures on it now. And interestingly, the uh, Pelican Bay Property Owners Association has really jumped on board in the last uh, six to eight weeks, uh, and they've started their own petition. And I'm told uh, by their head, Mark English, that they've got over twenty five hundred signatures now. So they're somewhere north of three thousand, thirty one hundred, thirty two hundred people who are opposing uh, opposing the development as it's currently planned. Mm. Um, and hopefully that'll be enough to, to uh, make the commissioners understand that they've got an obligation here to the, to the citizens of the county. Uh, something else that's really interesting here, and this is slightly technical, uh, Stock spent $19 million for the property that he acquired, and he acquired 4.6 acres from the private landowners who held that ground. The development that he wants to build is on 5.42 acres. And you might ask, well, where does the extra eight-tenths of an acre come from? Mm-hmm. And the answer is that it comes from the vacation of, of uh, several roads that are currently going through that site and that are owned and maintained by the county. Um, at, at $19 million, Stock has spent $95 a square foot for his land. The roads that he is asking the county to give him through a vacation are eight-tenths of an acre, about 32,000, 33,000 square feet. For all practical purposes, he has asked for a $3.3 million gift yeah. from the county based on, the, based on what he paid for the, for the private land. Wow. And I'm, I'm not sure why, why we as taxpayers... Uh, should just give away our land. Well, I tell you, the community is very fortunate to have you, Buzz Victor, uh, kind of supporting and being a, a community act- advocate on this issue. I just encourage our listeners to go to the website, SaveVanderbiltBeach.com, SaveVanderbiltBeach.com. This is a big deal. Buzz, just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, always a pleasure. You take care. You as well. Thank you, Buzz. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He is the author, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of books, uh, uh, Follow the Leader, and the sequel is Shake the Money Tree, Two Great Murder Mysteries. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, 
and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau chief. He's an author. He's written a couple of great murder mysteries, among other things that he's done. Uh, As I mentioned, the first is Follow the Leader, and the second is Shake the Money Tree. Two great reads. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Jim. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about right now, but uh, let's talk about gatherings because, uh, of course, we want social distancing. The president made a remark the other day when we're having a peaceful protest <laughs> It was <laughs> because some of the guests weren't wearing masks. To me, it was just, I thought it just, it just made me chuckle. Any thoughts? Yeah, what drives me up the wall is that there's national coverage of motorcyclists gathering in South Dakota right now. Most of those motorcyclists are old white people, you know, and they're Harleys. Uh, Young people aren't in the Harleys anymore. Uh, uh, But my point is humanity. You know, I was looking at a headline in Newsmax today that something like, you know, 40 or between 40 and 60% of people in a survey say that the social isolation has pushed them into therapy, either personal therapy or Zoom therapy. Uh, the point being that we are social animals, and if, if you read the local papers, there are huge gatherings of blacks. They're called pop-up block parties. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, there were 700 people showed up at a party in Hal, New Jersey. Wow. Uh, in Washington over the weekend, we had a giant block party in Washington, and somebody opened fire and wounded. They killed one person and wounded over 20. Yeah. In my own community in July, I saw uh, black black parties, peaceful, you know, maybe 50 or 60 people, two times. Uh, Spanish people. Uh, when I drive along the Potomac River on Sunday, you know, to, for a change of view, yeah. you see Hispanic families all along the riverbank. So, social gathering. And yet, when you look at the medical statistics... Uh, it's because the minorities are frontline workers that the disease is more prevalent among them. Uh, I would argue that it's our our social behaviors that are spreading the diseases, Yeah. number one. Uh, uh, number two, that the news is slanted. It gives a distorted view of which groups... Of course, you're responsible. Yeah, I, I so, so I'm happy you brought up Sturgis. I mean, the the motorcycle crowd this year is going to be half of what it was last year, but still, two hundred and fifty thousand bikers showing up in Sturgis. The other part of this story is that South Dakota has no corona problem. I mean, coronavirus problem. They've got very few cases and deaths there in uh, South Dakota. They've and the and the governor there has basically said, hey, you know, and quite she's very impressive, very. Impressive. Governor D, but she says, hey, look, I just trust our population here in South Dakota to make good decisions with regard to social distancing, masking, or whatever they need to do in order to take care of themselves and their neighbors. Well, I just think that's great leadership. Yeah, uh, uh, the other thing, I mean, that's 
you know, so one distortion of the news. By the way, there were riots in downtown Chicago last night. I don't know if, uh, I haven't seen that in any of the major papers. No, I haven't either. Yeah, uh, um, because um, a criminal, uh, a black criminal fired at police. The police fired back and wounded him. And then a rumor circulated among the uh, uh, poor community that this guy, this perpetrator was gunned down. And so it created a riot uh, in downtown Chicago. Uh, so, uh, and in the meantime, Portland burns. <laughs> it continues. I mean, to, you, to underscore your point, which is so important, the coverage is so slanted and so biased in so many different ways. You know, so critical of a motorcyclist gathering in Sturgis, South Dakota, and yet saying there's peaceful, mostly peaceful pro- uh, protests in Portland. Well, here's the other point. Um, my point is that um, uh, Democrats, Republicans, young, old, black, white, tan, uh, we're the same. We all, we're social animals, and we all want to gather, so it's not one group. Right. But the news distorts it to be uh, white Trump supporters, number one. And, and the importance of this in the election is that because we all feel this way, Trump might have a lot more support among the minority communities than we appreciate. Mm-hmm. Because, again, we're all social animals. Uh, nobody wants another year of lockdowns. Nobody wants, Because that stuff didn't work. Now, here, here's another story that goes unreported. Uh, what Trump did was defer to the states mm-hmm. and say, uh, you handle the virus and control it. Uh, you know, using your own methods. So, so it was a grand experiment at many different methods, and a lot of states shut down like they did in China. Pennsylvania, for example, had shutdowns. And, I mean, New Jersey, California. But what happened? The virus spread anyway. Right. You know, so um, my point being that uh, when presidential candidate Joe Biden looks in the rear mirror and he said... Uh, I would have handled it differently, without specifics, by the way. Right. I, I think that the average guy in the street realizes that that's a, a totally bogus line. So, um, so another headline I saw, and I, I hate to be promoting Newsmax. I have a friend there, there John Gizzy, who writes a column. I love but Newsmax. He, uh, was, I do, too, for balance. Um, there is a uh, story in there, Ed Rundell, uh, former governor of Pennsylvania says that the Trump Trump is much more popular in Pennsylvania than than the weekend polls indicate. Of course, weekend polls had him three four percentage points behind Joe Biden, and the reason is people are going to vote for Trump, but they're afraid to say it because the left, you know, the uh, politically correct reign of terror. Uh, intimidates them. Uh, well, so, the the other thing, Jim, uh, is uh, people want stability. They want law and order. They want to know that they they can feel safe in their daily activities without the threat of violence and and looting and all the things that we're seeing right now. Some of these cities in the West and uh, Chicago and so forth, as you've underscored, this president has made clear that he's not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. So did I don't know if you saw. On the Mark Levin show last night, uh, the Life, Liberty, and Levin, uh, that uh, Attorney General Barr was made some great comments about uh, keeping law and order here in the United States. So, quite frankly, when when it goes to the voting booth, you know, some people may say, "I don't like Donald Trump very much, but I want my life to, be, I want my family to be safe, I want my property to be protected." Yeah, they're going to hold their nose and vote. And another fun thing to do. If you uh, Google Portland, Oregon, and crowds, uh, not only do the uh, left-wing uh, um, terrorists riots come up, uh, but there are all kinds of organizations of every stripe, mm-hmm. you know, right-wing, left-wing, moderates, religious. Uh, some, you know, there's a guy named Sean Foyt, the uh, the uh, evangelical Republican, uh, he had a gathering in Portland. <laughs> but there are crowds everywhere, and this underscores my point again. We are social beings. <laughs> yes, everybody, and that plays into 
Trump's hands in this election. And Jim, this has been such an interesting conversation. I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. And again, our listeners, uh, check out uh, Follow the Leader and the sequels, Shake the Money Tree, two great murder mysteries by Jim McTagg. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I learned a lot, and I enjoyed it. So uh, if you have any comments or you'd like to receive the newsletter I send out each day about the show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. We have great uh, guests lined up for tomorrow, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be with us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>